Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is, whenever you're listening to this. I don't know what time you're listening to it, but regardless, welcome to the 5S Podcast. I am your host, James Watkins. Last week in episode number one, which would logically make this episode number two, right? Uh, We discussed the essential of the Christian faith, the gospel message, which hinged and anchored on the life, the crucifixion, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at the law of God, the Ten Commandments. We looked at the spiritual nature of man, that we are all dead in trespasses and in sin. And I wanted to go over the gospel for our first episode, because if I was wrong there, then absolutely nothing else I said needs to be listened to. So as promised, I do want you to get to know me a little bit more on a personal level, So for our second episode, what I would like to do is to share with you my testimony and how God graciously saved me from my sin. First of all, just the disclaimer, of course, first of all, my testimony and your testimony is not the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is. Our testimonies are simply a means and opportunity to exalt Christ and how he graciously saved us from God's wrath. It's not a means to glorify ourselves, but it's a chance to glorify God in his mercy. So just to kind of give you a little bit of a background on who I was prior to being saved, I was saved about five years ago now, uh, but I had always been a professing atheist or agnostic. Uh, there, I kind of went back and forth between the two beliefs. Atheist, I didn't believe that there was a God. Agnostic, I didn't believe that we could ever know if there truly was a God. So I went back and forth between those two beliefs. I even prayed to God at times, but it wasn't the one true God. I mean, I can... Pretty much I had made my own idea of who God was supposed to be. It was a God that was created in my image. But regardless of what I profess, here is the thing. It goes back to Ephesians chapter 2. is that I was dead in trespasses and in sin. And apart from God raising me to spiritual life, I was bound for hell. So here's another thing. Uh, Before we even get going into this, I am actually going to be touching on a subject that is very personal to me, a subject that I am very, very passionate about. I've preached sermons on this. I've I've been a guest speaker at other locations, and I've spoken on this. I love speaking on this subject because I believe that it is actually a subject that is, I'm not going to say ignored within the church, but this is a topic that really doesn't get touched on until you're impacted by it. And by that point, it's just a little bit too late. And that's the topic of suicide. Uh, in my testimony, and the more that we get into it, that'll kind of kind of become a little bit clearer to you why I'm going to be speaking on this topic. So as I stated, suicide is really one of those topics that doesn't really cross into our, our realm of reality until we're impacted by it in some way, shape, or form. Um, and I was impacted by it at a pretty young age. Uh, I was 15 years old when someone that was very, very close to me attempted suicide. And I remember the vast range of emotions that that covered me at that point. There was sadness, there was anger, there was confusion. It impacted me greatly. Um, So that's just kind of a little bit of a early introduction on why I care about the topic of suicide. But just kind of moving a little bit more recent, um, I've always loved martial arts. I did Taekwondo whenever I was younger, progressed pretty far within the belt ranking systems. I got up to my uh, blue belt in Taekwondo. And then in about 2009, I started doing mixed martial arts at a gym called the Milledgeville Academy of Mixed Martial Arts in uh, Milledgeville, Georgia, where I currently reside at. I trained there for uh, a little, right out of a year, I guess. Uh, I I was training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Muay Thai kickboxing. 
absolutely loved it. It really become an outlet for me to get any kind of frustration that I had out. I was training pretty, pretty frequently. And at about this time, I was I was roughly 21 years old. I met a man. Uh, he's actually the owner of the academy. His name is Frank Mullis. Uh, he's had his own podcast as well. And hopefully he'll be a guest on our podcast uh, pretty frequently. But um, whenever I met him uh, over over the few over the months, you know, I, I learned that he was a pastor. I uh, knew that he owned the academy, but I really didn't know anything else about him. And it was roughly before uh, Thanksgiving in 2009, uh, we were practicing uh, slams in the class that we were in. And we had mattresses that we were slamming each other on. And whenever I was stepping off of the mattress, I stepped off and I just stepped completely on the side of my ankle. I heard it pop at least 42 times. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but it popped a lot. Uh, I remember sitting down and my ankle just flopped over to the side. I thought it, I thought my foot was completely broken. Uh, come to find out it was just sprained, but it took me so, so long to recover from that. Um, honestly, it still gives me problems to this day. I probably needed to pursue further treatment on it, but I'm a hard head. I didn't do it. Uh, but I ended up fading away from training, uh, after that injury. Um, and so now you fast forward, uh, and I promise this is all going to tie back in in a minute, but we fast forward to whenever I was about 23 to 24 years old, I had moved out onto my own. Um, I was living by myself in an apartment complex in Macon, Georgia, uh, and I began to battle depression very, very heavily. And honestly, I don't really know what the cause of the depression was. Um, I, I didn't seek help. I didn't tell anybody what I was going through. Uh, the way that I began to cope with the depression was to drink heavily. Uh, and whenever I tell you heavily, I mean that I was going to the liquor store every single night. I was getting at least a fifth, a fifth of liquor and I was drinking the entire bottle every single night by myself. Uh, there were plenty of times where I would go into work still drunk the next morning because I had drunk so much the night before. Uh, I started to get a mentality that ultimately everything was completely meaningless, that there was no reason whatsoever to keep trying. There was no reason to keep moving forward. And whenever you think about it from an atheistic worldview, I was just being consistent with that worldview. Ultimately, everything is meaningless in an atheistic worldview that we are just bacteria in motion, uh, absolutely no purpose to anything that we're doing. So I was being consistent with that worldview, and I decided that I wanted to kill myself. Now, of course, I told you that I had my first brush in with suicide. Uh, someone that I love attempted suicide when I was 15, and I knew the pain that this would cause uh, because of what I experienced whenever uh, that person attempted suicide, but I just wanted a way out. Um, so what I did one night is I sat down and I wrote suicide notes. I wrote them to my uh, my mom and dad. I wrote one to my sister and I wrote one to my best friend. And at this point, I knew that I wanted to take my life, but I was undecided on the method that I wanted to use. Do I want to shoot myself? Do I want to hang myself? What do I want to do? How do I want to end it? And I believe that night I passed out drunk from the liquor. Uh, so, you know, I woke up the next morning and I thought about it some more. And uh, I come to, to the conclusion that, you know, whenever I get home from work today, this is going to be my last day on earth. Um, so I remember going to a restaurant after I got off of work, I went with someone and I got drunk, uh, at the bar that was at the restaurant and I drove back to my apartment. And I remember on the way back driving, I was like, just let me crash. Just let me go quick. 
That way it'll look like an accident. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't in a good state of mind at all. Um, but I ended up going to the store and I seen sleeping pills. So I was like, you know what? That seems like it would probably be a cleaner, uh, method. You know, that people wouldn't have to put up with blood splat, blood splatter. Um, you know, it might be a little bit painful, but you know, I'm ready to go. So I sat down one night with the intention to take my life. Um, I grabbed the suicide notes. I put them on a coffee table that was in my living room. Uh, this is how ridiculous I was in my state of mind is that I got saran wrap and I put it on the floor right beside the couch that was in my living room that way. Cause I had Googled what happens whenever you overdose on medication and evidently a lot of vomiting and all occurs. And I was, you know, the state of mind that I was in, you know, I'm just going to, this, this will make cleanup a lot easier for whoever finds me. Um, I unlocked the door to the apartment that way. Nobody had to kick in the door whenever they finally come looking for me. Uh, so this one night I'm sitting there in my apartment, I'm alone, I'm drunk, sitting in the dark. There's a little bit of light. I still remember this. Uh, I still remember this night very, very vividly. Uh, even though I was intoxicated, I remember every single aspect of it. I remember, uh, that there was a candle, uh, in the apartment. And to this day, if I smell, if I, if that smell hits me, uh, it just floods me with so many emotions. Uh, but I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm kind of, you know, doing the little depressed rocking back and forth. Uh, and suddenly out of nowhere, I am gripped with a fear. And this isn't a normal fear. This is a fear that I've never felt before in my entire life. And to this day, I still cannot put into the words the fear that I had come over me at that time. Um, but I was gripped with this fear. And for the first time in my life, you know, I had always, you know, kind of thought about life after death. What happens whenever we die? Atheistic worldview, nothing's going to happen. We'll become one with the earth. Uh, but at this point, in this moment, it hit me. It's like, if heaven and hell are real, where in the world am I about to go? And, you know, I thought to myself in my arrogance that, you know, if there is a God, you know, surely I've done enough good to get to heaven. Certainly the good outweighs the bad. Not only is that prideful, because it's me thinking that my good works were good enough to atone for my sin against a just and a holy God, but it sounds an awfully lot like Islam, right? Do enough good works and maybe you'll make it in, but you can never have that assurance. Uh, it's what every cult in the world teaches. Do good, do good. You're saved by grace after all you can do. That's the Mormon church. But, you know, the the sad reality is, is that that mindset that, um, that you know, maybe I've done enough good to get me to heaven. The good outweighs the bad. That's... Sadly, that's the mindset of not only people outside of the church, but within the church as well. Uh, and that's a conversation for another time, right? But I looked over to a bookshelf that was in the corner of uh, my living room. It was a very small apartment. Um, you kind of had the living room and then the kitchen, little one bedroom, one bathroom apartment. But I looked over to the uh, bookshelf that was in my apartment, and I seen my Brazilian jiu-jitsu belt, my Brazilian jiu-jitsu white belt. I was so proud of that thing with my one little stripe on it. Uh, but I remembered uh, Frank Mullis, the owner of the Milledgeville Academy of Mixed Martial Arts, and I remembered that he was a pastor. And, you know, out, out of my entire life, I had met people that proclaimed to be Christian, um, but none of them ever spoke to me about their faith. Um, that's, that's part of, like, one of the reasons why I'm, like, so, such a 
you know, a stickler whenever it comes to sharing the gospel is that it's a command. It's not a suggestion for Christians to share the gospel. Um, but I remember that Frank was a pastor. And, you know, at that point in the state of mind that I was in, I knew that he would have the answer on whether or not I would go to heaven or hell. So in my drunkenness, and you got to think, uh, this was at the very early stages of like Facebook, uh, you know, maybe not the early stages, but you know, messenger and all wasn't around. You were messaging Ashley through Facebook. So I messaged Frank, um, through Facebook. Uh, and you know, at this point, Frank is, Frank has a lot of jobs, right? He is, uh, he's a father to four girls. Uh, that's a job in and of itself. He owns the Millsville Academy of Mixed Martial Arts. Um, and then on top of that, I had no idea whatsoever that Frank was a counselor. So I'm excited to get him on the podcast to discuss his experience in counseling. But, you know, I messaged Frank that night and I said, hey, I hope you're doing well. Uh, I have a quick question for you. If somebody commits suicide, will they go to heaven or hell? And him being a counselor, of course, that throws up a red flag. And the first thing that he said to me whenever I asked him that, he was like, why? You're not going to do it, are you? And I remember getting so, so angry whenever he asked this. I was like, how? What? This guy's got some audacity. Uh, I mean, it's just a simple heaven or hell quote. You know, at this point, I'm sitting there and I'm like, if heaven and hell is real and I kill myself, where am I going to go? And the method that I'm doing it is obviously a very, very selfish method. It's a very hurtful method. And I'm just wanting to know exactly what my eternal destiny is if there is a God. Uh, because if there's a God, obviously there's a Satan. And if there's a God, that means there's a heaven. If there's a Satan, that means that there's a hell. And I just want to know which one of these I'm going to, buddy. So why are you asking me questions? Just give me a simple answer. And I said something very similar to that to him. Uh, I kind of stopped responding to him for a few minutes, but he kept messaging me back. And he said some things that were um, that really stuck with me. He, the first thing that he said was that God put him on my mind and that I needed him to help me. And then the other thing, and this is probably the, the one that has stuck with me uh, ever since that night, is he said, you message me because you're afraid you're going to go to hell. If you're afraid that's where you're going to go, it might very well be. And it, it's amazing how vivid this night still is in my mind. Uh, I mean, just those messages in and of itself, I can I can repeat verbatim everything that he said to me that night. So I finally stopped responding to him after a while and I'm sitting there and my phone rang and I recognized the area code that come over my phone. I didn't have the number saved in it, but I recognized the area code and I don't know why I picked it up because in the state of mind that I was in, you know, I shouldn't have been picking up no phone, but I picked it up and it was Frank. Um, he had driven from his house to the martial arts academy and he got my number off a of file. He called me and he talked me down to an extent. Uh, I remember um, something that he told me and this right here has stuck with me so much because this was somebody living out the command to love their neighbor. He knew nothing about me other than he had rolled with me a few times. Uh, he might have even choked me a few times. I can't remember. Uh, but what he told me before he hung up the phone is he said, you know, if something happens to you, I won't be able to live with myself. And I look back at that, I look back at those comments and I see someone that was doing exactly what had been commanded by loving their neighbor, by seeing me as someone that is created in the image of God. He may not know me, 
but he knows that because I'm made in the image of God, my life has value. And so that is always stuck with me. Now, this is the night that I believe that God started to draw me to himself. Uh, it was months later, uh, months, probably about six months later, after I met uh, my now wife. Um, the funny thing is, the irony here is, is that night whenever Frank called me, you know, I didn't succeed in killing myself. Uh, but, you know, I went to bed and the next day I woke up, I didn't feel any different. Um, so I had in my mind that, you know, I'm, I'm just going to kill myself uh today. You know, I didn't do it last night, but today's a new day and it's going to be my last day kind of mentality. And that day was actually uh, one of my best friend's weddings. And I did not make it to her wedding because I was so hungover from the previous night. So I decided to go to her, you know, kind of her after party for her wedding um, with the mentality that, you know, I'm going to see some of my good friends one last time. And then whenever I get home, I'm going to take my life. So I go to the after party uh, and I meet Shelby, who is now my wife. And, you know, I look back and I remember going home that night and I realized that absolutely everything was going to be OK. I am very, very careful whenever it comes to uh, and I, I, I give, uh, you know, tell people warning, you know, don't don't jump off the bridge saying that you love someone so much so quick. Um, but I fell madly in love with Shelby that night going home. I knew that absolutely everything was going to be OK and that I had a purpose in living. So we fast forward a little bit longer and uh, I finally I get to the point where I'm like, you know, this is the person that I want to spend the rest of my life with. I never want to wake up and spend another day without her in my life. So, hey, why don't I just ask her to marry me? The worst that she can say is no. Right. Which I knew that she wouldn't say no. Uh, <laughs> but if she knew what was good for her anyways, uh, but if she knew what was good for her, she probably should have said no. But I'm kidding. But. Uh, but um, I asked her mom uh, for permission to ask, ask for her hand in marriage. And uh, her mom told me yes. Uh, I wrote her mom. Uh, I typed up a message to her mom. I sent it to her. And her mom messaged me back. And I can't, I don't have the that message anymore. Um, but she told me that she was in tears because the only thing that she ever wanted was for someone to love her daughter. And she told me uh, that, yes, she gives her blessing for me to ask for her hand in marriage. Uh, but she had one stipulation, and that one stipulation was that we would be in church. Um, so you know, at this point, you know, I'm not a believer yet. Um, I haven't been, uh, I haven't been saved yet. Um, and so you know, in kind of my atheistic, agnostic worldview, I'm kind of being, I'm being drawn to God at this point because I'm seeking answers to questions that I already always had um, regarding the scriptures, contradictions. Um, all those kind of questions. Um, and that's where uh, ministries like Striving for Eternity Ministries, uh, who's actually a member of the Christian podcast community. That's where ministries like Justin Peters Ministries, uh, CARM, Christian Apologetics and Research Ministries with Matt Slick. When I tell you that I got on CARM every single day uh, and every single question that I had, he had an answer for it and it made perfect sense to me. Uh, so that's why I believe I was being drawn by God at that point. But she told me that she wanted me and her to be in church. And, you know, I'm, I'm like, OK, you know, I, I had never been to church before in my life, not once. And uh, so, you know, I was a little curious at, the, at how it would be. Uh, but mainly I was saying yes to uh, 
to going to church just so I could ask for Shelby's hand in marriage. So very, very selfish of me. But, you know, that's just the God's honest truth. So a little bit further down the road, I believe that it's roughly uh, May, April or May. I'd have to look up the exact date. But I look at Shelby randomly one Saturday night. I'm like, hey, you want to go to church on a Sunday? And uh, she kind of looked at me a little bit uh, shocked. And <laughs> you know, I was a little shocked too. You know, I don't know. I had that desire to go to a church. But uh, we went to church and, um, you know, I started to feel that I was just being drawn more and more and more. And within the next few months, I was saved in that church. Uh, I was baptized in that church. Shelby was, uh, um, you know, this is a, a conversation for another time, but the, the church at the time was a very prosperity gospel center church and God saved us in that church despite that. Uh, so I will talk heavily on the prosperity gospel because that is something that I'm very passionate about as well as uh, exposing the errors of that false message. Um, but we were saved in that church despite that church. We were baptized at that church in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, just completely out of God's love and his mercy. And, you know, here's the thing is that looking back on it is I realized that that night in my apartment complex where I'm sitting there and I'm contemplating taking my life, I know that God's righteous judgment against me would have been allowing me to kill myself and go straight to hell because that is exactly what I deserve. Um, now, uh, about five years later, uh, I'm the associate uh, slash intern slash doulas or bond servant at Devereux Baptist Church. And the head pastor of that church, the man who disciples me, the man that I knew absolutely nothing about when I trained at his gym, the Milledgeville Academy of Mixed Martial Arts, he is my pastor now. Uh, Lord help me, right? <laughs> but this is the same man who taught me down that night, practically a total stranger. But, you know, that's just how God worked in his in his providence. And, you know, I sit around and I think about this a lot that, you know, just just how miraculous God worked and how, you know, just perfect placement in my life in 2009 uh, that God would that God would place someone in my life that I absolutely knew nothing about. And then a few years later down the line that in my greatest moment of need uh, that I would reach out to this person. And then, you know, a couple, it took a, it took about a year, year and a half after I was saved before I come under the, uh, the uh, leadership of Frank within the church. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's only something that God could orchestrate that, that stuff like that just doesn't happen on pure chance. Um, but here's the thing, and this is what I really want to get into with the suicide aspect of this is that I was around, as I said earlier, a lot of professing Christians, you know, within middle school, within high school, college, work, and none of these people ever shared the gospel with me. None of these people ever even attempted to share the gospel with me. Um, and you know, it's not the fact that, um, that I would have been saved earlier in life by someone sharing the gospel with me at an earlier time. Uh, because God saved me exactly how he wanted and when he wanted. Uh, that's strictly within his sovereign decree. Um, but it's the fact that there is a command given to us to preach the gospel to all creation, that we are to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And yet you had so many Christians who I was around, professing Christians that I was around, who did nothing 
to carry out this command. And it's one or two things. Either they don't care, or number two, they don't know what the gospel is. And I covered that last week whenever we talked about the gospel. But, you know, what can we expect when emphasis is placed on relationships rather than the gospel? That's what you get. And no, I'm not anti-relationship. I just believe that the gospel is always the priority. Now, here's the thing. The gospel is a very, very necessary message that must be verbally presented. That's the means by which God has ordained others to come to faith. God, in his infinite mercy and wisdom, has ordained that his creatures, us, be part of his people coming to faith by the preaching of the gospel. Now, Let's tie this in with the reality, with a reality of suicide and depression in the world and within the church. Uh, Because of my experience with depression and suicide, I care very deeply about this topic. I care very deeply because every single person in this world is created in the image of God. Now, depression has been called a common cold of psychological disorders. Suicide sometimes is a result of that depression. Now, we all know what suicide is. It's the intentional taking of one's own life. It's self-murder. It's sin. There's no way around that. We have to call it exactly what it is. It's someone taking their life into their own hands for whatever reason and violating the image of God. Now, for starters, we need to declare uh That life is a precious gift of God. All life is valuable. Furthermore, our declaration needs to be that there is always another way. But the unfortunate reality is that suicide does occur. Uh, Some quick uh, statistics that I researched, and I'm pulling this uh, from a little bit of a sermon that I've done. Um, Like I've said, I've I've done sermons on this. I've uh, talked to a large group of men on this topic. I've been a a guest on a podcast, um, Growth Project, with Danny Purvis and Robert Houghton. Um, Had a great conversation with Robert a few months back. Uh, Go and give that a listen. Maybe you'll get something out of that as well. Um, But there are nearly 45,000 suicides per year. This is just the United States alone. Uh, For every successful suicide, there are 25 attempts. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. Second leading cause, get this, second leading cause of death among the ages of 10 through 34. And fourth leading cause of death between ages 35 to 54. Uh, The rate of suicide has grown by over 30% in the last 15 years. That is incredible. That's scary. Uh, And you got to keep in mind, too, these are just statistics from the United States alone. Uh, Worldwide, there's over a million suicides per year. Uh, For every successful suicide, there are 20 attempts. And this equates to over 3,000 per day and a suicide every 40 seconds. Now, I remember that whenever I was doing my preparation for uh, the suicide sermon that I did, I had this I had this realization that all of these people, these numbers, these statistics that I just ran ran by you, these numbers represent actual people with actual faces, with actual names. They're image bearers of God, and that's why we should deeply care about this subject. These are people who have felt a hurt so deep within their souls that they were, even if just briefly, were consumed with a darkness that they believe no light could reach. Now, we should care, uh, just like Frank cared for me, we should care about this because we're commanded to love our neighbor. This is a huge issue, and we have to face the realities that there are those within the church that struggle with depression and thoughts of suicide. This is something that I have dealt with. Um, even after that night, even as recently as a few months ago, I was still dealing with uh, depression, not necessarily thoughts of suicide, 
Uh, but depression, I still fall into periods of depression. It's something that happens. Uh, I have other brothers and sisters, uh, brothers within ministry, pastors, who have expressed to me that they have struggled with depression, that they've even struggled with thoughts of suicide. This is a very real issue, and it's one that we don't touch on that much. And honestly, I think that a reason we don't touch on it is because there's a lot of shame on our parts to seek help. Uh, after all, whenever we become Christians, everything's supposed to be all uh, rainbows and sunshine, right? Now, before we can move into ministering to people dealing with this, we need to confront the root cause. In all instances of depression, whether you're talking about chemical imbalances, traumatic experience, or events in the life of a person, the ultimate cause of depression and suicide is sin. Uh, we know that because we are all born fallen. Depression and suicide is a result of the fall of man that occurred in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve fell. Uh, that's why depression and suicide, ultimately all death is so terrible. That's why death is so hurtful. It's unnatural to the way that we were created. Everything was created good. Death is not good. Now, there can be a lot of things are at, that are at the root of why a person feels the way that we feel, but we know that anything that isn't good is ultimately the result of the fall of man and sin entering into God's good creation. So what do we do whenever suicide becomes a reality? Suicide has occurred. Now we have to deal with it. There are a lot of questions that come as a result, especially if you have been impacted. Uh, is suicide a sin? Yes, it is a sin. We've established that. We are called to live fully for God, and the decision of when to die is not ours to make. Uh, life is a precious gift given to us, and it's not a gift that should be destroyed, especially by our own hands. Now, for believers, there's a light. Uh, for non-believers, it's harder, and I can attest to this. Uh, they, won't, they won't admit it. Whenever I was a non-believer, I wouldn't admit it. Because in the atheistic worldview, any worldview that ignores God, life can, well, the Christian God, life can never have the value that they assign it. So it's a constant struggle because if they're being consistent with their worldview, there really is no hope or purpose or anything. Uh, it's a constant struggle. If we are nothing more, if there is nothing more than ultimately, what's the point? That's consistency within the atheistic worldview. Make no mistake about it. Getting to a place where you do not see light and hope is a terrible, terrible place to be. We hear people condemn uh, others who are at this point. And if you've never been there, I praise God for that because it's a place one million people per year get to and they do not get through it. Uh, I hope you never get to that point. Uh, if you do, I hope and pray that you will seek help, uh, get the attention that you need because it's not, you're valuable. You're created in the image of God. Your life matters. And there are people who do want to help you. There are people who do love you. Whenever it comes to a Christian going through this depression and thoughts of suicide, there are a lot of questions that come up. And first, let me make a disclaimer. Uh, if anyone dies and they are outside of Jesus Christ, I mean, they have not placed their faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, they will go to hell. But not one person who has been raised to spiritual life by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, that's where God the Holy Spirit changes a heart of stone into a heart of flesh, not one person who has been regenerated of the Holy Spirit will be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So, first question. Can Christians battle depression? And I think the answer to that is yes. There are 
seasons that come and go in the life of a Christian, and some of these seasons are darker than other seasons. Um, it's well documented that preachers, great preachers such as Charles Spurgeon, uh, battle depression, and Spurgeon is probably uh, one of the preachers that I admire the most. Um, and it's something to consider, can a Christian who is battling these things, uh, depression, thoughts of suicide, can this person still be salt and light to others? So there is a story of Charles Spurgeon who uh, preached, oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And after the sermon, I believe it was a few days later, he heard a knock at his door. And I'm telling this from memory, so I'm, I'm having a paraphrase here. So forgive me if I miss some aspects to it. Uh, but a man knocks at the door. Spurgeon opens up the door and Spurgeon says that the man looked tired. When Spurgeon was talking to the man, the man told him that he had never once felt like anyone was speaking directly to him or preaching directly to him. And Spurgeon says that by God's grace, I saved this man from suicide, but I know that I would not have been able to do it had I not been confined into the dungeon in which he lay. And that, my brothers and sisters, is very, very encouraging to me for whenever I'm struggling in those areas in my life, that I can still be a witness to others, that I can still bear witness of Christ and Him crucified, that others may come to saving faith in Him. Now, let's move into a more serious side here. This is a more difficult side. Can a Christian commit suicide? And I tread very, very carefully whenever I'm discussing this. Uh, I don't think, first of all, my job is to declare everyone to be saved. Obviously, there are people who profess to be Christians who are not truly saved. Um, I think it's obvious that Christians can fall into sin. Uh, Christians can lie. We can steal. We can blaspheme. We can commit adultery. We're, we are capable of physically sinning. We do not live in full and complete trust or obedience in Christ. There's a huge difference between other sins and the sin of suicide, though. One can repent of other sins, uh, but we cannot repent of the sin of suicide. It is a final act. It's why our understanding of repentance needs to be clear. Does repentance save us? Yes and no. Uh, we can't say that repentance results in us being saved. That's works. That's the ceasing of our bad works producing salvation. I think the more biblical approach to this is rather repentance is a result of us being saved. And as Christians, we will grow in repentance and holiness. But, however, I cannot say that if someone takes their life, that automatically means that they were never saved to begin with. I'm not prepared to say that someone can't fall into a season of darkness or get to the point that they commit a grave sin. What I do know is that suicide is not the answer. There's always another way. I know that if someone is born again and has placed their faith in Christ Jesus, they have eternal life and no one will ever snatch them from his hands. I know that if someone is outside of Christ, the world that they thought was unbearable would have been all the heaven that they will have ever experienced. I know that the God of the universe, the one who formed the mountains and controls the waves of the sea is just and he will always do what is right. And I understand the questions of if and will a true Christian ever take their life or try to take their life. There's questions of perseverance and rightly so. But I think when we do that, we mistakenly forget that God is faithful even when we are not. And for those outside of the church, the lost, you know, the message is clear. There's another way. It is okay to seek help. We love you, and we are here for you. For Christians struggling with this, it's still a clear message. There's another way. It's okay to seek help. 
We love you and we are here for you. But above all else, for both the Christian and the lost, the gospel is the light that we share. Believers should understand that our affliction is light and momentary, and it is producing for us, in the path of obedience, uh, an eternal weight of glory. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore, we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but on what is unseen. The things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Focus on the faithfulness and the treasure that you have in Christ Jesus in all of your afflictions. Get into the Word. Go before the throne of God in prayer. Be discipled by godly influences and your darkness will be illuminated. Above all else, preach the gospel to yourself and to others. Here's the thing. Do not ever think that you have ever, ever, ever outgrown your need for the gospel message. It's sanctifying. And what I mean by sanctifying is it conforms you more to the image of Christ. It humbles you. It humbles me every single time that I hear it. I love hearing the gospel message preach. If you ever think that you are worthy of any mercy or grace, look to the cross. What you deserve was nailed there, and you can never adequately see the love of God on the cross until you first see his wrath there against sin. The message for believer and non-believer is simply this. You have broken the law of God. You have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the just punishment that you deserve that we all deserve, myself included, is eternal damnation. But God is rich in love and mercy, so rich that God left heaven and entered into his creation as a man in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, as a man, lived a perfect and sinless life, perfectly fulfilling the law that we have broken. Jesus was crucified and he died upon the cross, paying the debt that we as sinners owe to God. And on the third day, Jesus conquered sin and death when he rose triumphantly from the grave. And God promises eternal life to all who repent turn from their sin, and trust fully in Christ alone. There's another way, and that way is found in the one that is the way, the truth, and the life. That's John 14, 6. Cast your burdens upon the Lord. He will sustain you. Go to him, all who are weary and burdened, and he will give you rest. His yoke is easy and his burden light. These are promises given to us in Scripture regarding who Christ is. And can I plead with you for just a moment as we're starting to uh, wind down episode two? For a moment... Ponder, think for just a moment, how many people do you come into contact with on a daily basis? How many of those people, including our friends and family, do we share the gospel with? Thousands upon thousands of people are going to die today, and thousands upon thousands of people will go to hell. If we have a care for their souls, the gospel should be a priority. That is above all else, the gospel, the preaching of Christ and him crucified. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And for someone that is in darkness, someone struggling with thoughts of suicide, that is just going through a depression that is in darkness, they need the gospel. Please, for love of your neighbor, do not be weighed down by fear or ignorance. Preach the gospel. And woe to you if you do not. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to uh, 
wind this down. Uh, we actually went a little bit longer today than I thought we were going to, but I love speaking on this topic so much. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, Andrew Rappaport with Striving for Eternity Ministries has a conference coming up on suffering. Uh, I really want to go to this conference. I don't think I'm going to be able to because my pastor, Frank Mullis, is going to be a keynote speaker at this conference. But I want to carry a little bit more into the topic of suffering, depression, uh, biblical counseling. So next week on the 5S podcast, I am going to have the very man that I spoke so much about uh, today, uh, Frank Mullis. I'm going to have him on here with me discussing the conference that's coming up. We are going to discuss a lot of things in the realm of suicide. I'm very excited about it. We are very, very sarcastic with one another. We feed off of each other very well. Uh, I think that you guys are really going to enjoy it. So with that said, This has been the 5S Podcast. I am your host, James Watkins. Thank you for listening, and we will see you all next week. And may all that you do be done for the glory of God.